So to recap, Seculo is saying Trump is not under investigation, is under investigation, and he has no idea if he's under investigation. <laughs> Man. Yep. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's one reason. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Intertubes, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. All around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Opinions may vary. Glad you could uh, join us here today for another thrilling episode of the Bradcast coming up. While I was on the road over the uh, over the weekend and uh, a few days before that, Washington Post broke the news that Donald Trump is now personally under investigation for obstruction of justice. Now, whether that's true or not, we don't actually know yet. Uh, Trump and his attorneys have both said that it is true. But then again, uh, Trump's attorneys said it was not true either way. If he is uh, presumably under investigation for obstruction of justice, it relates to his firing of FBI Director James Comey after the recommendation letter that he fire Comey or or at least get a fresh start at the FBI. Uh, That recommendation letter came from Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who is now overseeing the special counsel investigation of Team Trump. And if that's true... It seems like Rosenstein, uh, like uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions before him, would have to recuse himself because he was sort of involved in the firing. But would he recuse himself? And if he did, uh, who would then oversee special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation on behalf of the Department of Justice? And by the way, even if uh, Rosenstein didn't recuse himself, he might be fired if Trump asks him to fire Mueller. So uh, we will talk about all of that and what could happen in uh, any of those uh, eventualities. I was going to say possibilities, but I think one of them is an eventuality. Either he's going to be <laughs> fired or he's going to have to recuse himself, uh, Rosenstein. In any event, we'll, we'll talk about that 
and what happens thereafter and the bedlam that could follow with University of New Hampshire professor Seth Abramson, who's been on fire on Twitter about all of this. Understandably, it's a mess. It is a mess. He will explain that mess. And speaking of uh, being on fire here, Desi Doyen, hi. Uh, hi. Uh, it is the first day of summer. Yes, yes it is, and it's very, very warm. Exactly. Lots of places. I want to say it is only the first day of summer, and uh, yet this incredible heat, uh, particularly in Arizona, in Phoenix. USA Today reports that the extreme heat forecast for Phoenix on Tuesday caused the cancellation of some 50, 50 American Airlines flights out of Sky Harbor International Airport. According to a statement from American Airlines, the American Eagle regional flights use uh, a type of aircraft which has a maximum operating temperature of 118 degrees. Yet the temperatures for uh, Phoenix on Tuesday included a high of 120 degrees. And uh, so they have uh, canceled flights that were uh, going to be affected, taking off between 3 and 6 p.m. Hey, you know, this is a good thing. You want the airlines to be aware of when it's too oh, hot yes. for your plane to stay in the air. Yes, good thing that they're canceling the flights. Not so good that they have to cancel the flights. No, that's not good at all. Uh, apparently, extreme heat affects a plane's ability to take off. Uh, hot air is less dense than cold air, and the hotter the temperature, the more speed a plane needs for liftoff. And uh, the runway at uh, Sky Harbor may not be long enough to allow these uh, type of planes to achieve that necessary extra speed. See? Science! Science! Uh, and global warming! Yes. Which is uh, affecting us in so many ways, all the time, constantly, in ways that the Trump administration still continues to ignore, even though it is costing, well, it's costing their friends at American Airlines money. Uh, this, by the way, the record uh, heat in Phoenix is 122 degrees from uh, 1990. And uh, that day, June 26, 1990, grounded airlines for the entire day as well. But uh, speaking of denial, Energy Secretary Rick Perry said on Monday that the primary contributing factors to climate change are not not rising CO2 levels. Rick Perry, former governor of Texas, now the secretary of the Department of Energy says, no, no, it's not CO2. He was on CNBC with Joe Kiernan again, who had asked Scott Pruitt this same question about whether CO2 is the what does he call it? The primary control knob for yes. for uh, the climate. Uh, here's how that went with the secretary of energy, Rick Perry. Do you believe CO2 is the primary control knob for the temperature of the earth and for uh, for climate? No, most likely the primary control knob is the um, uh, ocean waters and the uh, this environment that we live in. <laughs> so, just to recap what he just said there, the environment is the primary control knob for the environment. Not to mention the, <laughs> the ocean waters. I know. What, what does that have to do? I know, the, this is so, so nuts the and ocean, so The stupid. rising ocean is responsible for... Uh, for warming the atmosphere. For, and rising waters in I the ocean, guess. sea change. I well, mean, see, it's the ocean's yeah. responsible for what the ocean does. I think, I'm not quite sure what his logic is. The ocean is. needs to take personal responsibility for itself, as <laughs> does the environment, which is heating itself up for 
no reason other than the environment feels like it. Yeah, the, the Center for Biological Diversity was very not happy with those remarks. And they said that the far from being climate change's key cause, the world's oceans are actually another victim of carbon dioxide no emissions because it's causing uh, the, the emissions are causing acidification in the ocean, which is hurting the animals that live there and all the food that we rely on from the sea and a number of other things. Of course, he's got it exactly backwards. CO2 is the primary control knob. In fact, the head of NASA, NASA's chief atmospheric scientist officer, wrote a study that said CO2 is the primary control knob for the climate. Well, somebody needs to tell the Department of Energy Secretary Rick Perry, who blames blames the environment for the environment. (laughs) It's just crazy. That's what we're dealing with. Uh, And uh, voters are trying to maybe, maybe, we'll see, do something about it. Uh, Voters are at the polls today for the U.S. House special elections, elections in both Georgia and South Carolina. We've talked quite a bit about Georgia and the concerns there in the uh, in the sixth district. That's to replace Trump's health and human services secretary, Tom Price. Uh, That's a very Republican district that uh, Tom Price won by more than 20 points last November uh, and a seat held by the Republicans, by the GOP since 1979, most famously by Newt Gingrich for many, many terms. Uh, but it is said to be an exceedingly close race. It is mo- the most expensive race in U.S. House history for this seat because Donald Trump only won that district by a little bit over a point. And now John Ossoff, the uh, first time Democratic candidate, Uh, is said to be neck and neck with Karen Handel, the Republican former Secretary of State of Georgia. And uh, we have been covering that race quite a bit, given all of the concerns about that race, the uh, the the hacking of the uh, the uh, the the group that programs all of the voting machines and all of the electronic tabulators and all of the electronic poll books across Georgia. Um, and the fact that there is no paper ballot whatsoever for people to vote on at the polls. They are forced to vote on 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. So whatever the results are, as they're reported on uh, Tuesday night, those will most likely be the final results, whether they are correct or not. So we will have uh, much more on that, no doubt, tomorrow. But at the same time in South Carolina, we also have got another U.S. House race. This is for the uh, South Carolina's 5th District to replace the uh, seat vacated by now White House Budget Director Mick Mulvaney. That is a very, very Republican district. Um, So the uh, Democrat chances are not nearly as good there. You've got uh, Archie Parnell is the uh, Democrat facing off against Ralph Norman, the Republican. And in that race, there's also three other candidates. And I'm going to mention them. David Colma, the Green Party candidate, Josh Thornton, the American Party candidate, and Victor Coker, I think is how you pronounce his name, the Libertarian candidate for that seat. Going to mention them because this is South Carolina, where, guess what? They also, like Georgia, use 100% unverifiable touchscreens across the entire state and in South Carolina in particular uh, boy oh boy anything could happen and there's nothing you can do about it whatever the machines say those are going to be the answers we know this because a few years ago you'll remember back in I think it was 2010 I'm losing track of time Alvin Green a Democratic oh yeah remember this Democratic uh, candidate for the this was a, a primary race for the U.S. Senate 
guy who nobody had ever heard of, who had spent no money on his campaign, didn't even have a campaign website. Or a cell phone, if I remember correctly. Didn't own a cell phone, lived at his dad's. Nobody had ever heard of him. In 2010, he won the primary for the Democratic primary for the U.S. Senate. Against uh, a candidate who was well-known, well who had loved. A, a judge, who had campaigned all over the state, and there was nothing that could be done about it. This guy no one ever heard of ended up winning the primary for uh, for the U.S. Senate and then, of course, went on to lose. Uh, so I wanted to give you all of those other names, uh, the Green and American Party and Libertarian Party, in case they end up winning in South Carolina. Could happen. And if it does... Nobody will ever be able to say that voters didn't want uh, Victor Coker of the Libertarian Party to be the winner uh, for the U.S. House in South Carolina's 5th District. So in any event, 100% unverifiable elections in both states, 100% faith-based voting. We will have results of both of those contests, no matter what they are, on tomorrow's thrilling broadcast and whatever messes accompany them. Uh, in the meantime, in the U.S. Senate, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said Republicans would see a, quote, discussion draft, whatever that means, of their health uh, care reform bill as early as Thursday of this week. McConnell said reporters will get a chance to see the bill as well then. Oh, that's nice. So we get a draft uh, on Thursday. On Thursday. Um, and this addresses, he says, complaints from Democrats that GOP leaders have kept the bill secret, not just complaints. They have kept the bill secret. They've <laughs> developed this bill entirely in secret. McConnell said the legislation will move then to the floor next week, next week for a vote. As soon as lawmakers get a cost estimate and analysis back from the Congressional Budget Office. So he's going to wait for the score from the CBO. Oh, before having a vote on it? Oh, that's nice. When asked about how long lawmakers will have to review the legislation, the majority leader vowed they will have, quote, plenty of time, plenty of time. He said, I think this will be about as transparent as it can be. Now, mind uh. you, this was the guy <laughs> who had complained back in 2009, along with all of the other uh, Republicans in the Senate, that uh, the, that Obamacare at the time, the Affordable Care Act, was being rammed down everyone's throats, even though they had about 100, literally 100 uh, 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 committee meetings to discuss the bill and to mark it up. And uh, uh, hundreds of amendments, including by Republicans, were added to the bill that all the Republicans ended up voting against anyway. And even then, they complained about the amount of time they were given over that one year period of moving the Affordable Care Act through the uh, through the Senate. Uh, and now they have no such qualms. Now they don't even remember that even happened. And Democrats are trying to get the attention of the public to let them know that, yes, this thing could very well pass before the 4th of July recess. Senator John Cornyn, the number two in the Senate, the Senate whip, said that uh, he will find the 50 votes. He's my job to find 50 votes. We're going to have 50 votes, he says. According to uh, The Hill today, uh, pressed if Republicans had those votes. He said, well, we don't have a bill yet, but I'm confident that we will. So they're promising they're going to get this through. They can only afford to lose two of the uh, 52 seats that they hold, in which case it would be a tie because none of the Democrats are going to vote for it as of now, in which case it would be a 50-50 tie that would be broken by the Republican vice president, Mike Pence. This is all moving forward. 
Uh, and if you want to let your senators know how you feel about it, you can you can and should call them at 202-224-3121. Uh, in the meantime, our friend Heather Digby Parton over at Salon today writes about this, uh, what she describes as this sneak attack on health care. She says a few days ago, a Republican Senate aide was asked by a reporter at Axios why the GOP leadership felt the need to keep all the discussions for the health care bill completely under wraps. And he replied, quote, we're not stupid. Hmm. Leading Republicans know what they're planning is so poisonous to the voters that if they let anyone see the monstrosity they're constructing before the bill is hurriedly uh, voted on and signed into law by President Donald Trump, it could well cause riots. Digby says, uh, after all, according to recent polling, only 17 percent of American people surveyed said they approved of the bill as it currently stands as passed in the House. The fact is, she says, that Republicans are willing to destroy the health and financial security of millions of Americans so they can give massive tax cuts to Ivanka Trump, Jared Kushner, and others like them who are lucky enough to be vastly wealthy. This is their first real chance to enact permanent tax cuts since 1986. Republicans have been chasing this dream a very long time, she says. It's their white whale, so important that even the prospect of millions of people suffering and going bankrupt is not enough to make them think better of it. So this is the plan, and in the meantime, uh, Republican leaders are dealing with the avalanche of criticism that they're receiving, she notes, uh, the way their puerile president has taught them. Here's the response of Senate Majority Whip John Cornyn. Uh, of Texas to several tweets from Democrats. Congressman Adam Schiff of, Schiff of California said, Trump care by the numbers, 850% premium spike for the elderly, 14 million will lose health care in the first year, one in six with pre-existing conditions will lose coverage. That's based on the CBO's previous score of the bill. John Cornyn uh, retweeted Congressman Schiff there and added, fake news. That was it. Brian Schatz of uh, Senator from Hawaii, Democrat, uh, tweeted, no hearings, no women, no Democrats involved, no expert testimony, no listening to health care providers. This is legislative mal malpractice, he said. John Cornyn retweeted that as well and added fake news. So that's what they say now. Whenever there's anything they don't like, they just say it's fake. It's fake news. Now, you may or may not like the Republican health care plan. You may or may not like uh, the Affordable Care Act. But what Schiff and Schatz said there is true. It is not fake news. But that's what they do. And uh, I guess they're uh, they're they're counting on their supporters to be stupid enough to believe it. By the way, Cornyn back in 2010, Digby notes, uh, had this to uh, tweet about the uh, passage of Obamacare at the time. He said, the people have a right to know what is happening behind closed doors with secret health care negotiations. So he was complaining about the secret negotiations, which at the time weren't really secret at all and included tons of Republican amendments and everything else. Uh, this is going to be very, very bad. This is going to hurt a whole hell of a lot of people. And uh, I got to get to my guest here so I don't have time to go into some of the details of just how bad 
uh, this is really going to be. Uh, but when you cut at least $800 billion from Medicaid, you are hurting so many people, and not just low-income people, but elderly people who count on Medicaid uh, for long-term living in, uh, in nursing homes. And not just, you know, poor people, but everyone. It's going to cost about $100,000 a year in a nursing home. So once you run through all of your funds to pay that, yes, you got to turn to Medicaid. And that's about to be gutted, most likely, with this um, Republican health care bill. So their number is 202-224-3121. If you'd like to make any noise about it one way or another, I would recommend you do it quickly. All right, I got to get to my guest here, so a quick break, and we are back with the um, with the continuing messes from uh, Team Trump and the investigation. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. I shot Right. I guess if Jim Comey was the sheriff, maybe Donald Trump should have shot uh, Rod Rosenstein instead. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, as noted, while I was traveling last week, the Washington Post reported that Donald Trump is now under personal investigation by special counsel Robert Mueller regarding potential Obstruction of justice in his firing of FBI director James Comey. Trump himself seemed seemed to confirm that issue on Twitter when he tweeted on Friday, quote, I am being investigated for firing the FBI director by the man who told me to fire the FBI director. And he added witch hunt. Now, presumably, he was talking about Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein as the man who told him to fire the FBI director. Rosenstein is overseeing Mueller's uh, uh, special counsel probe since Attorney General Jeff Sessions has recused himself from the Trump-Russia investigation. So between the Washington Post report and Trump's own tweet, in a normal world, this would be a settled matter. Donald Trump is being investigated, as he says, by the special counsel. But this is not a normal world. This is Trump world. And in Trump world, Trump's new attorney, Jay Sekulow, took to the Sunday shows over the weekend to offer um, some seemingly conflicting statements on whether or not Trump is being personally investigated. Here's how that played last night on Stephen Colbert's show. Jay Sekulow had one clear message. The fact of the matter is, the president has not been and is not under investigation. The president's not under investigation. The president has not been and is not under investigation. Okay, clear as a bell. The president absolutely positively is not being investigated by the Department of Justice. I'm sorry, you wanted to add something? He's being investigated by the Department of Justice. So he's being investigated for taking the action that the attorney general, deputy attorney general, recommended him to take by the agency who recommended the termination? Secular! <laughs> Chris Wallace noticed. 
first of all, you've now said that he is being investigated after saying that you didn't. No. You, you just said, no, sir, being that he's being, you just said that he's being investigated. Based. Sir, you just said Period. two times that he's being investigated. No. Seculo tried to recover. I do not appreciate you putting words in my mouth when I've been crystal clear that the president is not and has not been under investigation. I don't think I could be any clearer than that. Well, you don't know that he's not under investigation again, sir. I mean, you. I cannot read the. You're right, Chris. I can't read the mind well, of good. the special okay, prosecutor. Okay, so we're in agreement. You don't but know whether he's under. You don't know whether no he's under investigation. He you don't know whether he's under Chris, investigation like or not. So to recap. <laughs> Seculo is saying Trump is not under investigation, is under investigation, and he has no idea if he's under investigation. Okay? <laughs> so, okay then. Uh, Jesus, clear as mud. In any event, if Donald Trump is being investigated for obstruction of justice in his firing of the FBI director based even in part on a recommendation by Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, it would seem that Rosenstein himself would now be a witness in such an investigation, given whatever role he played in the firing, and therefore Rosenstein would have to recuse himself from overseeing the special counsel's probe. But even that is not all that clear. As Allegra Kirkland and Alice Olstein reported at uh, uh, TPM today, federal investigators are in uncharted legal territory at this point. They write, with a lack of precedent to point to, a degree of separation between the DOJ and the Office of Special Counsel, and no formal public confirmation of the obstruction investigation, some former federal prosecutors who spoke to TPM say it's premature to anticipate Rosenstein's recusal. Rosenstein's involvement in some of the events Mueller would likely investigate renders his continued oversight of that probe, quote, just not tenable, according to Peter Zeidenberg, a former assistant U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia who previously worked in the DOJ's public integrity section. He can't supervise a case if he's a witness in the case, he said, and he's a central witness. He had conversations with Jeff Sessions. He had conversations with the president. He had conversations with Comey. He could corroborate Comey's testimony about their conversation after Comey's one-on-one -on -one with Trump. Kenneth McCallion, a former assistant U.S. attorney for New York during the Carter and Reagan administrations, concurred. He said, I think it's really inevitable that Rosenstein will have to recuse himself. On the other hand, Walter Mack, a former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, told TPM, quote, I have seen nothing that would justify his recusal. Robert Ray, a former independent counsel, said the standard generally is, would a reasonable person question the impartiality of the decision maker if he fails to recuse? He said, I don't see the fact that the deputy attorney general had conversations with the president regarding the firing of the FBI director as in and of itself warranting recusal. But he added, uh, ultimately, uh, this would come down to personal judgment, along with the advice from the DOJ's ethical advisors. But whether Rosenstein recuses or not, he could also be removed from the job if the president asks him, for example, to fire special counsel Robert Mueller. That's the president's right. And uh, Rosenstein could then be fired if he refuses to take that order from the president. In either case, recusal or firing, 
which are both now very real trajectories in this matter at this point. In either case, oversight of the probe would then go to the next most senior official at the DOJ, which would be a woman by the name of Rachel Brand, a Trump appointee. But even her role overseeing the special counsel's investigation could come into question for a number of reasons. Or she, too, of course, could be fired if she refused to fire Mueller at the president's order, in which case things begin to get really complicated. Uncharted legal waters indeed. Or what my guest today described in an epic 50-tweet tweetstorm over the weekend as simply bedlam. Joining us now to discuss that bedlam and that tweet storm is Seth Abramson. He's a HuffPo columnist, an attorney and graduate of Harvard Law. He's a professor of journalism, writing and law at the University of New Hampshire and um, the author of seven books, most recently Data, recently published by Blaze Vox. He's also a former attorney for the new for the New Hampshire public defender. Seth Abramson, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you for having me, Brett. Sure. Great to have you back. All right. First, uh, your tweet storm. 50 tweets on one topic, Seth. I mean, you are totally breaking the entire point of Twitter. So can you knock that off, please? (laughs) Well, honestly, I'll say this, Brett. If I were to lay out the full complexity of the situation right now at the (laughs) DOJ, which goes well beyond the question of Rachel Brand possibly becoming the acting AG in the very near term, it would take, and I'm not exaggerating here, probably about 500 tweets. What? We are in so many unprecedented situations and sub-situations at the DOJ. It is bewildering even for attorneys. Uh, I know, I know that it is, but of course, that's what Huffington Post is for. You're supposed to write the article rather than make <laughs> me go through 150 tweets. In any event, I, I do want to step through that actual uh, tweet storm because it was actually very informative because it tells actually one hell of a story of what could happen well, any time really in the next days, weeks, months, uh, as this uh, moves forward, uh, or at least a very potential trajectory for it. But first, you you heard that uh, that that mess in that intro. Is Donald Trump under personal investigation or not at this point? Do we know? And frankly, does it matter, Seth? Well, I would say this. It certainly does matter. It changes the ethical circumstances for many of the people you were discussing, including Rod Rosenstein, if the president is under investigation by Bob Mueller for obstruction of justice. Uh, but to go back to your the first part of your mm-hmm. question, do we know the Washington Post article quotes five uh, anonymous sources? That is a large number of sources. Normally we, we ask for three. The Washington Post gave us five though we don't know uh, who those people were, whether they were from federal agencies or not. But generally five sources, and just generally the Washington Post is considered uh, reliable. Obviously, Mr. Trump's attorneys have tried to cast some doubt on this. I think what I would want to emphasize is this. Federal investigators are under no obligation to inform Mr. Trump or his attorneys if they are investigating him, number one. Number two, Bob Mueller is not supposed to talk about his investigation uh, himself, mm-hmm. or frankly, any of his lieutenants on the team that he's formed, until such time as he issues a report to whoever the acting AG is at the time. So we're not going to hear directly from the investigators. So I think the best we're going to get is what we got from the Washington Post tonight. I think from the standpoint of journalistic uh, expectations and practices, that's enough for us to assume that the president is under investigation for obstruction of justice. Okay, so if he is under uh, investigation for obstruction, uh, my next question is, 
why? And uh, I, I know in regard to firing uh, Comey and so forth and citing the, quote, Russia thing uh, for that. But I ask specifically as far as why he's being investigated, because folks have been saying that a sitting president cannot be indicted. So I'm wondering, where could Mueller's probe possibly go if that is the case, even if he finds wrongdoing, if he, even if he finds illegal, unlawful obstruction of justice? Why would a special counsel be investigating him specifically for that if an indictment cannot be brought, you know, even at the end of that process, even if they do find obstruction? Well, so technically it is not yet a settled legal question as to whether a sitting president can be indicted, but you are certainly correct that the majority view, so the presumptive view, is that a sitting president cannot be indicted. Now, let's be very clear on why that is. The reason is that the U.S. Constitution provides that the first remedy for a president who commits high crimes or misdemeanors, which really covers the the gamut of crimes, uh, is impeachment. That is the appropriate remedy. So impeachment, conviction, and then removal from office, and then indictment and prosecution upon removal from office. Mm. So when people say that a sitting president cannot be indicted, they do not mean to say that he cannot be held to account. In fact, he can be impeached and removed from office and then prosecuted as soon as he's not the president. It simply means that the first remedy would not be indictment. But you did ask me another question, Brad. You asked me why would he be under uh, investigation for obstruction of justice. And what a lot of people point out is, can't a president fire an attorney general whenever he wants to? The Mm -hmm. president's the head of the executive branch. The uh, attorney general serves at his pleasure. And the answer to that, surprisingly, is yes, the president can fire uh, the attorney general at any point. Mr. Trump is not under obstruction of justice investigation simply because he fired Jim Comey. He's under investigation because of all the circumstances surrounding it and the statements that he made regarding the firing. So in in this case, if we stick just with the obstruction matter for the moment, if uh, Mueller does his investigation, if he finds what would be unlawful obstruction of justice, unlawful uh, under criminal statutes, he then takes that information, gives it to, well, presumably Rosenstein, if he is still uh, in, in charge of the uh, overseeing the investigation. He gives a recommendation, essentially, to Rosenstein, says, here's what we found. Uh, we believe the president committed criminal obstruction of justice. And then Rod Rosenstein, or whoever's running the investigation at that point, then does something with that information, either bring an indictment or... Hand, release those materials to, to Congress to, for, for potential uh, in, impeachment proceedings? Yeah, I think we should not expect that in that situation, uh, Maine Justice, therefore, uh, I mean the DOJ, mm-hmm. we should not expect that Maine Justice would uh, issue an indictment or seek an indictment at that point uh, by going to a grand jury. What we should expect instead is that they would uh, make a referral to the Congress, mm-hmm. and at that point the Congress would have to decide whether to refer the matter to the Judiciary Committee, mm-hmm. and then the Judiciary Committee makes a decision as to whether the matter should be referred back to the full Congress for uh, an impeachment uh, vote, and, and then possible upon impeachment uh, a trial in the Senate. And presume- So, so yeah. to be very clear on this, uh, you know, Bob Mueller on the front end uh, will not be uh, initiating an indictment, he will be issuing a report and then the DOJ, and it will not be Rosenstein uh, at that point. It will be someone else uh, due to the need for Rosenstein to re- recuse himself. Uh, that person would then go to the Congress with a referral. And that's where, um, and by the way, I've been telling people to watch for uh, Bob Goodlatte, who's been incredibly quiet. He's the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, hasn't said a word. Any impeachment proceedings would be would need to begin 
gen- in general uh, in the House Judiciary Committee, as I understand it, and that's why uh, uh, Congressman Bob Goodlatte's uh, silence has been quite interesting in recent weeks. Watch for him to start talking uh, as a sign that uh, impeachment may be heating up at some point in the future. In any event, uh, Seth Abramson, you say Rod Rosenstein will finally recuse himself, and that's sort of where your tweet storm kicks off. Uh, are, are you certain about that, that he will uh, recuse himself from this matter? I am certain, uh, to be honest with you, or as close to certain as an attorney can be under these circumstances. We have to keep in mind that Rosenstein will not uh, hear from Mueller uh, explicitly about the scope of Mueller's investigation. The first time he would hear from Mueller about exactly what Mueller is looking into, because remember, Mueller was uh, appointed by Rosenstein because of the fact that DOJ has a conflict in this case. Mm-hmm. So we wouldn't expect the, the current acting uh, AG on the Russia probe to hear anything from Mueller unless and until he is asked to give a deposition or go before a grand jury or simply have a conversation about what he knows about the firing of Jim Comey with Bob Mueller. Uh, it might be some time before he is asked by Bob Mueller to come in and have some sort of an interview. So there might be a period of time in which uh, Rod Rosenstein doesn't know whether or not he will be asked to talk to Bob Mueller. But he has to assume that he will be because he is one of the chief witnesses in the case the Washington Post tells us is being investigated. But I would even go further than that, and and I'm not attempting to, in saying this, cast any aspersions on uh, Mr. Rosenstein at all, except to say uh, that he could be investigated by Bob Mueller himself for conspiracy to obstruct justice should Bob Mueller's investigation take him to the following finding, which is that Donald Trump told Sessions and Rosenstein that the reason he wanted to fire Jim Comey was over Russia, and he needed them to write up memos that Mm. would act as a sort of pretextual basis for firing Comey. That's a hypothetical situation I'm not saying Mm -hmm. occurred, but I want to emphasize it even the case that Rosenstein ends up himself getting investigated for conspiracy to obstruct justice. (laughs) Should that not come to pass, he still would be a witness to Trump's actions and perhaps any conspiracy investigation into Jeff Sessions' involvement in the firing of Jim Comey. Good God. Bedlam indeed, and we haven't even gotten to the bedlam part yet. All right, Seth, you say that if if Rosenstein steps down, well, you say he will finally uh, recuse himself, but whenever he leaves, whether he recuses, whether he's fired, if he has to go... Rachel Brand, uh, currently the number three at DOJ, uh, would then take over uh, oversight of the special counsel. Uh, You describe her as well-educated, a very experienced attorney, but that her role at the head of the Russia probe would immediately be controversial in and of itself. So what do we know about her? What do we know about Rachel Brand? And and why would that immediately be controversial if she became uh, uh, the the top dog over the uh, Russia probe? Well, as I mentioned, she is uh, well-educated. She has had a, uh, a, an impressive legal career. She's a 1998 graduate of Harvard Law School. She worked as a litigator for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Mm-hmm. She actually worked on an ad hoc committee established by President Obama regarding civil liberties associated with the questions uh, surrounding mass surveillance being conducted by the NSA. Uh, she certainly has a reputation as a conservative, uh, and her litigation practice uh, suggests that she has routinely represented uh, large interests against what we might call, quote-unquote, the little guy. 
I think that that is one of the reasons that not a single Democrat voted for her confirmation mm. in the Senate. And to be very clear, almost every Democrat voted for uh, Rod Rosenstein, mm. but none voted for Rachel Brand. So she certainly is very conservative. I don't think that that will cause any sort of a problem in terms of recusal. It's a question of her associations with individuals involved in the Russia case that could lead to a recusal. And uh, so that would, uh, Democrats just wouldn't like her because of her politics, but you note that she's also very friendly with, uh, well, a couple of people, uh, the ultra-conservative Senator Ted Cruz of Texas and the uh, liberal attorney, Jamie Gorelick, who is currently, or at least uh, until the past 12, 24 hours or so, was uh, representing Jared Kushner. I don't know if she still is or not in this case. Uh, is this, is, will that be a problem for Democrats or for Republicans, either of those? Well, I think in the one case it will be a problem for the president. He will be concerned about her association with Ted Cruz. And on the other side of things, I think Democrats... Uh, would be or would have been concerned about her association with Jamie Gorelick. So our st- I'll start with that second one. In, mm-hmm. my, in my tweet storm, I talk about the fact that uh, Rachel Brand worked at Wilmer Hale, a law firm, with Jamie Gorelick, Jared Kushner's attorney. Uh, Jamie Gorelick appears to have been her mentor and friend, and in fact has acted, acted as a recommender uh, for Rachel Brand, including during her confirmation process. Mm-hmm. So there is a close uh, relationship there. Now, after I talked about that connection, there has been a further development, as you uh, alluded to, and that is that suddenly Jamie Gorelick's law firm, Wilmer Hale, is suggesting that maybe Jared Kushner needs to get a new attorney. What's interesting is that they're saying is that the reason for that is that Bob Mueller used to work at Wilmer Hale. Now, that uh, justification or that explanation doesn't really track in terms of the timeline of events, because, in fact, Jamie Gorelick didn't begin moving uh, away from representing Jared Kushner when Bob Mueller was appointed. It is only when it started to become clear that Rachel Brand will soon be the acting AG that Jamie Gorelick and her firm told Jared Kushner he might want to look for someone else. So I suspect, just based on the timeline of events, that Wilmer Hale's concern is more about the Gorelick uh, brand connection than the Mueller brand connection. And do we know, by the way, has Kushner, in fact, uh, found a new attorney, or has he, has, has he left Gorelick, or is that still uh, uh, sources say at this point? The most recent reporting has Gorelick still as his attorney and assisting him in answering inquiries from the Senate Intel Committee, but he is actively searching for new counsel. Depending upon what story you read, either Gorelick initiated this uh, search by Kushner for new counsel, or Kushner did. I think the more reliable reporting suggests that Wilmer Hale was actually concerned about the conflict and Mm. informed their client that he needed to find someone else. But no, I don't think he has new uh, criminal defense counsel yet. And uh, you also uh, write in your tweet storm, Seth Abramson, that though uh, Democrats may have various reasons to uh, have you know concerns about Rachel Brand, uh, that the larger concern may be uh, Donald Trump's concerns about her friendship with Ted Cruz. What would uh, what would that concern be as you see it? Well, if Rachel Brand becomes the acting AG, and as I mentioned, that is likely because Rosenstein really can't know if he's going to be a witness, and so to be safe, to protect the appearance of the investigation, he will, I believe, shortly recuse himself. When Rachel Brand becomes the acting uh, AG, at that point she is effectively uh, deciding whether or not any findings by Bob Mueller get referred to Congress for impeachment proceedings, as we talked about earlier. And therefore, in a sense, 
she is a linchpin figure in determining whether the Trump presidency is imperiled by impeachment or not. Rachel Brand is a lifelong friend with Ted Cruz. Their families are close. Ted Cruz himself has said this on the record in the Senate. Obviously, Ted Cruz uh, still has political ambitions. Many believe he wants to run for president in 2020. So the idea that a Cruz family friend would be in a position mm. of deciding whether or not DOJ refers an impeachment matter mm. to the Congress and ultimately to the Judiciary Committee is something we could imagine Donald Trump being very uh, uncomfortable with. Yeah, I would say so. And it was, it, would it be something that, if that was the case, if Donald Trump decided that uh, her relationship to Cruz uh, was a conflict that he would basically call for uh, her recusal in that case. Say she can't. She's she's conflicted here. She must drop out, and then it's left up to her, re- left up to Rachel Brand, whether or not that is in fact a conflict. Well, she herself, in theory, could make a decision to recuse. And I, I want to be very clear on this. I'm not suggesting mm-hmm. um, any uh, animus by Rachel Brand toward Donald Trump or that she's done anything untoward whatsoever. But keep in mind, this is the most complex and public criminal litigation of probably the last hundred years in American political history. And so appearances matter. I think Rachel Brand would be concerned about appearances in this instance because of her association with, you might say, Trump's primary political rival in the Republican Party. So she might consider recusal. Uh, Donald Trump might attempt to uh, persuade her to recuse, though we've seen how complicated Donald Trump attempting those sorts of persuasions can become uh, in terms of criminal liability for his actions. In theory, he could attempt to fire her. But let me make one other point, mm-hmm. and I'm going to try and do this without opening a massive can of worms, Brad. But <laughs> yes. this is where things get so much more complicated than anything we've discussed already. Uh, Donald Trump passed a new executive order uh, on February 9th, the day after Jeff Sessions was confirmed as AG. And under that executive order, Donald Trump has given himself power to name whoever he wants as attorney general if he has gone through a rather short list of uh, orders of people who are in the order of succession uh-huh. to take charge at the DOJ. In theory, if Trump were to get Rachel Brand to recuse, or if she chooses to recuse, if her then successor, which would be Dana Bente out of the Eastern District of Virginia, should he recuse himself or be forced to recuse, at that point Trump would be out of people in his list who are eligible under his own executive order, and in theory, the executive order would then give him the ability to simply name whoever he wants as the acting attorney general. So Trump does have another motive to find, whether it exists or not, a basis for attempting to force Brand and possibly her successor, Dana Bente, to recuse themselves so that he is left with what appears to be no option but to name his own attorney general. Uh, man, uh, talk about bedlam. And if he does that, it, does that person need to be confirmed by the Senate, or that's completely left up to Trump? Well, that person ultimately would need to be confirmed. And so we would have an acting attorney general for some period of time, and you can imagine that the confirmation proceedings for any uh, person Donald Trump attempts to name as attorney general uh, would, would be substantial. Now, that would be if he were replacing his attorney general. Now, in the situation, however, that I imagined, uh, what he would be doing under his executive order is naming an acting attorney general. And so I'm not certain that there would need to be uh, any confirmation if he has someone who has already uh, gone through the nomination process. This is where we get to sort of a third level of confusion. Donald Trump fired all the existing U.S. attorneys except Dana Bente, and he did that on March 10th. So he doesn't really have anyone who has gone through the confirmation process who he has appointed who he could then turn to. 
So probably he would have to find someone and attempt to get them through the confirmation process, which he wouldn't have had to do if he hadn't fired all the uh, United States attorneys on March 10th. Which brings us to what you describe as the kicker to your tweet storm, Seth Abramson. I've got just a minute or so left, so I'll see if you can uh, explain this quickly. But because Trump fired all of the U.S. attorneys uh, on the same day, uh, you suggest that that act could result in yet another obstruction of justice uh, investigation or charge against him sort of at the other end of this thing once uh, folks realize why it is that he uh, fired all of those uh, uh, those U.S. attorneys at the same time. That's right. On February 9th, when Donald Trump issued that executive order, both changing the chain of succession at DOJ and also giving himself the power to appoint an acting AG in certain circumstances, he clearly thought at that point in time he was going to allow a lot of acting AGs to stay on. You can just tell from reading the order that he thought there'd be a lot of acting AGs out there who were holdovers from Obama. But in the first week of March, his own attorney, Mark Kasowitz, told him that the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York, Preet Bharara, was quote-unquote going to get him, meaning was going to successfully prosecute Trump criminally. And after Mark Kasowitz told Donald Trump this, and we know that Kasowitz said this because his own friends, uh, Kasowitz's friends, have reported it, Donald Trump reversed his decision to keep on a lot of the Obama United States attorneys, and he fired every single one of them, including Preet Bharara, who would have been prosecuting him, instead of what he was going to previously do. The only person he kept on was Dana Bente, who ultimately agreed to uphold uh, the decision to defend his travel ban in court after he fired Sally Yates. So he's pretty happy with Dana Bente. Everyone else, he actually did accept their resignation uh, between March 10th and March 13th. And if, that, in fact, yeah. he did fire those attorneys because of what Mark Kasowitz told him, we could have another obstruction charge. So, so essentially, you're suggesting he fired all of those U.S. attorneys at one time to mask his uh, interest in firing Preet Bharara, who was investigating him personally. I believe that. A lot of people believe that. And there's evidence to suggest that Preet Bharara himself believes that. This whole situation is insane. And frankly, if uh, if it was anyone else, if it was any other time in, in history, I would say this entire uh, trajectory that you've spelled out, uh, Seth Abramson, seems ridiculous. But at this point, uh, I think the, 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 the smartest prediction is to go with the most ridiculous outcome as being the most likely in this case under this president. Unbelievable. Seth Abramson, really great to talk to you again. Uh, it's been too long. Let's not make it so long next time. Uh, you can follow his work at uh, Huffington Post and, of course, uh, on his website, SethAbramson.net, and, of course, those 50 tweet tweet storms on the Twitters at Seth Abramson. Thank you so much, Seth. Great, great to talk to you. Thank you, Brad. All right, a quick break, and we are back with, um, you know, while all of this is happening, of course, uh, the Republicans, Donald Trump, what they're getting away with. We talked about health care earlier. That's not all they're getting away with. So quick break, and we'll come back. This is a very disturbing story, at least to me, out of New York. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. 
but we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Now, I don't mean to suggest, of course, that, uh, you know, what's going on in these investigations are not important. They are, and they need to be covered by the media. You're talking about, you know, the potential impeachment of a president uh, at at the very least. Uh, So, yeah, I understand that needs to be covered. But at the same time, there's a whole lot of other stuff that is going on. That is uh, sort of not getting noticed out there in the world. This is a uh, this is a recurring theme. It is a recurring theme, and we we try to you know bring out what we can uh, at the same time. And uh, New York Daily News had a uh, an exclusive over the weekend. A Queens man put his health on the line to remove hazardous material from Ground Zero, and now. Immigration authorities want him removed from the country over a 30-year-old criminal case. Of course they do. Carlos Umberto Cardona, 48 years old, was one of about 41,300 people that ICE agents have taken into custody during the first 100 days of the Trump administration. Did you get that? 41,300 people have been taken into custody by ICE during the first 100 days. Cardona's wife, Liliana, told the Daily News, I can't believe this is happening to him after all of the sacrifices he has made. He says he feels like he's being treated like a criminal. Apparently, Cardona didn't think twice about being part of the 9-11 cleanup effort, his wife said. He inhaled fumes at the World Trade Center site. His health ended up being affected. He has lung problems. He has gastrointestinal problems. He has psychological issues. He has a lot of anxiety, she said. He's very much an American, Cardona's attorney told the Daily News. He's scared of going back to Colombia. He doesn't know how he'll maintain a living and what kind of treatment he'll have for for his respiratory problems, which are very real. Last week, the attorney filed a legal action asking a Brooklyn federal judge to make the Department of Homeland Security and the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services hurry and decide a basic 2014 application verifying his marriage to Liliana, who is a naturalized U.S. citizen. And an approved application would be just the first step in his attempt at, uh, at residency, according to the attorney. Cardona is currently in custody in New Jersey. He's got a pending clemency application also with the state of New York that was filed in April. He fled to the U.S. in 1986. At the age of 17, he's been here since 1986. 
His two older brothers were police officers who had been killed by anti-government rebels when Colombia was deep into its decades-long civil war. So his two brothers were killed. He fled. He got here to the United States where he's lived safely since 1986. And now the Trump administration. And then he helped clean up hazardous material after 9-11 at Ground Zero. And now the Trump administration wants to send him back. His wife said at the time, in 1986, his life was in danger. In 1990, he pleaded guilty to an attempted drug sale, uh, one count in New York. His wife said he was standing next to a friend when that happened. It wasn't his. He's had no convictions since then. So no convictions for 27 years at this point. And that was his only conviction. In May of 2000, uh, authorities entered a removal order based on that 1990 conviction. The order was hanging over his head during uh, his months of uh, cleaning up at Ground Zero. It stayed with him, he says, as he raised his now 19-year-old daughter and, uh, and married his wife Liliana in 2013. In 2011, ICE agents had put him on an order of supervision, which his attorney explained was like being on supervised release with required periodic check-ins. So that's all he had to do was check in periodically, which he did. According to court papers, Cardona got the order of supervision because of his chronic respiratory pro- uh, problems that were caused by his time as a recovery worker. But ICE revoked the supervision order earlier this year following Trump's January executive order pledging, quote, all appropriate actions to detain immigrants facing deportation. Cardona was then taken into custody during a February check in with immigration authorities. He's been held ever since at the Hudson County Correctional Facility in New Jersey. Uh, His wife recalled that he had called me and said, I have to go to court and check in. He had gone so many times, she said. He didn't come home that day, last February, and he has been in uh, the uh, correctional facility ever since. She said, he does not deserve this treatment. I just want to see him back home. So that's one of the things that's going on while we are all distracted with the uh, bedlam and nonsense of the uh, Trump administration. Not nonsense to these people and this family and uh, and his children or the other 41,000 that have been taken into custody ever since uh, Trump came into office. Anyway, all right, we got to get out. Uh, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Seth Abramson of the University of New Hampshire and of Huffington Post, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's greatly appreciated. You can download... Uh, this show or any other anytime for free at bradblog.com while you're there i hope you'll consider stopping by bradblog.com slash donate you can also drop me email if you like i'm bradcast at bradblog.com and on the facebooks and the twitters please find us follow us and share us worldwide uh, you can find me there at simply the brad blog that's it we will be back with you tomorrow with the results whatever they may be from these uh, special house elections in Georgia and South Carolina. Good Lord. Uh, Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.